Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of See It or Shove It. I'm your host Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for. For our featured movies this week, a man takes an AI under his wing in The Creator. The game of pinball leads a man on a mission in Pinball, the man who saved the game. Two strangers meet on a transatlantic flight in Love at First Sight. And the heroic pups are back in Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. Let's get started. Up first, a war against AI turns into a game of life and death. This is the creator. Did you locate the weapon? Yeah, it's just a key. Set in the future, John David Washington plays Joshua, a man who appears to have a loving relationship with his wife Maya, played by Gemma Chan, who is pregnant with his child. When American troops invade his community in a war to demolish any sign of artificial intelligence, tragedy strikes and Joshua is returned home to the United States. There, he is approached by military commanders, including Colonel Howell, played by Oscar winner Allison Janney. He sees an image that convinces him to return to the battlefield to retrieve a young AI named Alfie, played by Madeline Yuna Voiles. Joshua and the U.S. government is hoping Alfie will lead them to a powerful force known as the Creator, the power known for the infiltration of AI in the Far East. However, as he spends more time with Alfie, Joshua begins feeling a need to protect her as more of the truth behind the American mission begins to reveal itself. So, now he must work with Alfie and her leader Harun, played by Oscar nominee Ken Watanabe, Can he expose the government for their intentions before it's too late for Alfie and her community? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... See-it! I'm surprised I liked this as much as I did because science fiction movies usually aren't my cup of tea. I can appreciate the technical aspects of them, but... I tend to find them rather boring story-wise, because I feel like it draws out the story and bogs it down with unnecessary things that just slow the pacing down. But this one had me hooked from the beginning to the end. I found it very accessible and quite emotional. John David Washington is an actor who I like in most things. He tends to be a little more hit or miss with some things, but I really liked him in Black Klansman and Tenet, and I liked him again here. Alice and Janney didn't really have much depth to her character other than being the sneering villain, but I always like seeing her on screen, even if she didn't have much to work with here. But the technical aspects of the movie were all very good, which is impressive considering this was made on a relatively inexpensive budget for a film like this. But you would never know it. Pushing two and a quarter hours, it sure didn't feel like that to me, and for those of you who have listened to me for a while, know that that is a high compliment coming from me. If you like science fiction movies, and you like emotional stories, go see this one. Next, a man discovers his favorite game is now banned in the city in which he lives. 
This is Pinball, the man who saved the game. Why are they taking the machines? We got busted. It never even occurred to me that the game was illegal. But for over three decades, Pinball was banned in New York City. I want to show the city council members that they've had it wrong for all these years. Oh, you're a reporter? I just have a question about the pinball ban, sir. Somebody keep these damn kids away from me! We're going to set up a hearing and we'd like you to come in to testify. You're going to play pinball at City Hall? I want to redeem the game. (laughs) That is a game of chance. That is a game of skill. Starring West Side Story's Mike Feist, this film tells the story of Roger Sharp, a man who took on the government of New York City when pinball machines were banned in the city during the 1970s. Sharp enjoys the game and has since he was a student at the University of Wisconsin. Now living as a divorced, unemployed, struggling writer in New York City, he is hired by a new magazine called Gentleman's Quarterly, also known as GQ. He soon discovers a pinball machine tucked away in a local peep show lobby. While others are there for sexual gratification, Roger is there to play pinball, but is distressed to learn that it is illegal in New York City because of then-Mayor LaGuardia's vendetta because he thinks the machines are somehow connected to the mob. Appalled at the absurdity of the law, Roger proposes that he write about it for the magazine, using his research as an opportunity to gather evidence that there is nothing shady about the game of pinball and get the law overturned. In between all of this, he meets and falls in love with a single mother named Emma, played by Crystal Reed. I give this film a... See it! I tend to really like biography and true life movies. It's actually my favorite type of book to read, too. Maybe I'm just very nosy. Who knows? But this one was very engaging. I liked the quick pacing of it that kept the story moving right along, and it was a good balance between the investigation into the pinball side as well as the development of his love life on the other side, and then how the two blended together eventually. Mike Feist, who was so good in West Side Story, is great here again, as is Crystal Reed, who plays Emma. Their relationship is really the heart of the movie, and was actually my favorite part of the movie, seeing how the relationship developed and how he kind of reconciled the fact that she had a son and he wasn't too jazzed about that at the beginning, but it eventually changes his views on what a relationship should be. But it is also very interesting knowing the background of the story about how pinball was actually banned because they thought it was corrupt and that it was corrupting children. The film did a great job representing the 70s with all the different styles and car models and just the overall look of the film. It was very entertaining, and it's available on Hulu if you want to watch it today. Next, when two strangers meet on a plane ride to England, their destination is not the only thing that they find at the end of the trip. This is Love at First Sight. The odds of finding your soulmate are slim to none. This is my number. Ask me so I've got yours. Oh, no. The odds of finding them again... How's your flight? Surprising. I lost his number, but I need to find this guy that I met on the plane. Sounds really stupid. Sounds brave. With miles and miles between them, there is only a 0.2% chance that they will ever see each other again. But what good is a chance if you don't take it? 
In this romantic comedy based on the best-selling novel, the film's narrator, played by Jamila Jamil, tells us from the start that this is not a story about love, it's a story about fate and statistics. Soon after, we meet Haley Lou Richardson's character, Hadley, a young American traveling to London to be at her estranged father's second marriage. She's traveling on what is known as the worst day of the year to travel, December 20th, the peak day for holiday travel. Hadley misses her plane and has to wait for the next flight with an open seat. While waiting for her flight, she runs into Oliver, played by Ben Hardy. Oliver is a statistics and data science student at Yale. After a cordial meal, the two depart, only to meet again on their flight. What a coincidence! After landing in England and going their separate ways, the two cannot get each other out of their minds. Will they be able to find each other again? I give this film a... Mild see it. I enjoyed most of this film, even if it was predictable and cliched. Most of my enjoyment was because of the two leads. Haley Lou Richardson and Ben Hardy were quite appealing in their roles. They made for a believable couple. And each of their characters' backstory were interesting and compelling. The use of Jamila Jamil as the narrator did get on my nerves a little bit, because she would just pop up out of nowhere and interact with these two under different disguises, I guess you could say. But a little of that went a long way, and by the millionth time seeing her, I was like, okay, we get it. I didn't feel it added much to the story. But it was a cute little throwaway film that's on Netflix now if you're stuck inside on a rainy day and you're in the mood for a romantic comedy. It's nothing groundbreaking, but it's fun to watch. Finally, when a meteor strikes Adventure City, the Paw Patrol gets right on it. This is Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. It's so Well, well, well! Oh, dinger. He looks different than I remember. <laughs> Well, you're probably more tired than you... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've got to be kidding me. Led by 10-year-old Ryder, voiced by Finn Lee Epp, the Justice Warriors, known as the Paw Patrol, are called into action when any type of rescue is needed in Adventure City. Collectively, they are the Police Department, Fire Department, and Coast Guard all in one. When a meteor falls out of the sky and almost decimates the city, the Paw Patrol take custody of the rock to study its powers, hoping it will lead to the person responsible for it, who happens to be Victoria Vance, a woman who resents being known as a mad scientist. She is voiced by Oscar nominee Taraji P. Henson. It is soon discovered that the meteor contains powerful crystals that attach themselves to each of the pups, granting them special superpowers. This appeals to patrol member Skye, voiced by McKenna Grace. Sky has feelings of inadequacy because the other dogs are growing bigger and she is not. When Victoria joins forces with Mayor Humdinger, voiced by Ron Pardo, they try to take over the entire city and gain world domination. Can the pups save the day? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... See-it! I am so not the target audience for Paw Patrol, but I really had a good time with this. 
The story moved right along, it didn't have any down moments, and it was actually very fun to watch. The voice work by all the cast was fun, and there are several cameo pop-ups, including Chris Rock, Kristen Bell, Lil Rel Howery, James Marsden, Serena Williams, and even Kim Kardashian and a couple of her children. I thought the message about accepting yourself while also finding your own inner power was a great one for kids to see, and the animation was all done very well. I can see why this series is a hit with kids. If you have children who want to see this movie, I think you're going to enjoy it too. Go see it. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, The Creator is in theaters now and is a see it and it's my pick of the week. Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game is streaming on Hulu now and is a see it. Love at First Sight is streaming on Netflix now and is a mild see it. And Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie is in theaters now and is a see it. Now, let's move on to the segment where I let you know the latest titles now available for home viewing. It's time for Now Streaming. The ludicrous and terrible Meg 2 The Trench is available on Max. Well, that didn't take very long to come to streaming. It's really atrocious. If you want to hear my full review, listen to episode 100. The lovely little independent romantic comedy What's Love Got to Do With It is a charming take on intercultural relationships. It was a quick pick selection in episode 79 and is now available to watch on Hulu. Disney's The Haunted Mansion is an uneven entry in the theme park ride turned film library. I enjoyed the nods to the ride, since that is my favorite ride at the Magic Kingdom here at Disney World, but the story was rather bland. For such a great ride with wonderful potential for a film, they just can't seem to get it completely right. It was a mild see it when I reviewed it, but that was mostly for the nostalgic aspect of it. It comes to Disney Plus on Wednesday, October 4th. To hear my full review, listen to episode 98. The Snowy Day in Oakland is a rather unfunny comedy that takes a hard right turn tonally toward the end. About a neighborhood struggling against a tycoon who wants to buy their property, the film has some very funny people who are given an unfunny script to work with. It is streaming now on Stars. To hear my quick pick thoughts, listen to episode 70. Conversely, the quite funny The Blackening about a group of friends being terrorized by a serial killer in a remote cabin is a smart, funny, and sometimes quite scary film. It is streaming on Stars beginning Wednesday, October 4th. To hear my full review, listen to episode 88. You know what time it is. It's time for my segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind Rewind. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a film about a composer, musician, band, or group. And your choices were Amadeus, Coal Miner's Daughter, or What's Love Got to Do With It? You voted, and as of this recording, you chose What's Love Got to Do With It? Two, three, four. She had given him everything he wanted. Stage right now. Oh, I'm a dead woman if you stink. 
can't get away from me, and I'm in here. But if she ever wanted to find her dreams... When you can see yourself clearly, your life will change. She had to start believing in herself. This incredible film tells the story of the relationship between Ike and Tina Turner. It starts with a young Tina, then known by her birth name, Anna Mae Bullock, played by Oscar nominee Angela Bassett. Anna Mae knows she has a strong, powerful singing voice, and one night at a club concert, she gains the attention of the lead performer, Ike Turner, played by Oscar nominee Lawrence Fishburne. She soon becomes the band's lead singer as well as Ike's wife. At first, things are fine and loving, but as their stardom grows, so does the domestic violence at the hands of Ike. What follows is the story of how Tina Turner overcame a life of abuse to rise to the top of the charts as a solo artist following her independence from Ike. Based on Turner's autobiography, I, Tina, this film was released on June 25, 1993 to wide critical acclaim, especially for the performances of the two lead actors. Initially, Fishburne turned down the role of Ike not once, not twice, but five times. He had a change of heart when he had heard Bassett had been cast in the role of Tina. Bassett worked closely with Turner herself, who wanted to meet the woman who would be playing her. Allegedly, when Turner walked in, she looked Bassett up and down, smiled, and said out loud, She's perfect. However, both Tina and Ike eventually took issue with the film, taking liberties with the source material for dramatic effect. Tina had stated that she wished the film contained more truths and not portrayed her as a victim. In an interview with Oprah Winfrey, she said, I watched a little bit of it, but I didn't finish it because that was not how things went. I didn't realize they would change so much. However, she was thrilled with Bassett's performance, once writing directly to Bassett in Time magazine, saying, Angela, the first time we met, you didn't look, sound, or move like me. That came later after you worked so hard to make it happen. But even then, I could see that the young woman standing before me had strength, determination, and big, big dreams just like me. She's perfect, I said, and I was right. You never mimicked me. Instead, you reached deep into your soul, found your inner Tina, and showed her to the world. Ike was less gracious, saying Tina's book and the movie were both filled with lies. Although acknowledging Fishburne's strong performance, he took issue with many of the scenes, especially one involving a rape, saying the film damaged his reputation. Not that his reputation was stellar to begin with, but okay, whatever, Ike. Bassett was offered the role only one month before production. Actresses previously considered for the role included Halle Berry, Robin Givens, Pam Greer, Janet Jackson, Vanessa Williams, and Whitney Houston, who was originally offered the role but had to bow out due to her pregnancy at the time. The film earned $61 million at the box office and landed Bassett and Fishburne Oscar nominations. Fishburne would eventually end up losing out to Tom Hanks, who won the first of his two consecutive Oscars for his role in Philadelphia. And Bassett, who in any other year would have walked away with the award, lost out to the juggernaut that year, Holly Hunter, who won pretty much every award possible for her role in the piano. What's Love Got to Do With It is available to stream on Hulu. When I return to regular episodes after my hiatus, the next Be Kind Rewind topic is a foreign film. Your choices are Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, E tu Mama Tambien, or Trois Colors, Bleu, Blanc, Rouge. Come to my Instagram, at Shovit to vote for which film I should focus on. The post with the most likes will be the next segment. 
So that's it for this episode of Theater Shove It. Thank you so much for listening this week. I do have a programming note. This is my last episode before I take a brief hiatus. The next two weekends in October, I will be entertaining guests from out of town, and I'm unsure of my availability to go see films. Plus, again, Taylor Swift is taking over movie theaters the weekend of October 13th to show her Eras tour on the big screen, and multiplexes across the country will be dedicating most of their screens to that. As I said last week, as a non-fan, I will be avoiding that crowd of soccer moms and their daughters like the plague. So, now is the perfect time to take a break. Fortunately, I have a few films banked up, and I'll be leaving you with a couple of mini-episodes that just focus on reviews of new releases, including Saw 10. Yes, I got the courage to go see that bloodbath. So listen to that mini-episode next week to find out what I thought about it. I'll be back with full episodes in a few weeks. In the meantime, enjoy these mini-episodes, and if you want to know my immediate reaction to any of the films that I happen to see in the next couple of weeks, follow me on Letterboxd. I update that profile with reviews the same day I watch a movie. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. Don't forget... You can email me at seeitorshoveit at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd at seeitorshoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcast. Come back next week to hear my mini-episode with reviews of films like El Conde, Sitting in Bars with Cake, and Saw 10. I'll be back soon with a brand new full episode. Until then, take care, everyone. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.